Got your phone, got your tablet, got your Bible, doesn't matter, pull one of them out. Get a Bible open, we're going to go to John chapter 6. Jason's going to stay with me through this scripture. John chapter 6, verses 60 through 69. When you get there, say amen. If you're not there yet, say hold on. There you go. (laughs) And then when you get there, say amen. John chapter 6, verse 60. That's where we're going to start. Here we go. John chapter 6, beginning with verse 60. Therefore, when many of his disciples heard this, they said, This teaching is hard. Who can accept it? Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were complaining, complaining about this, asked them, Does this offend you? Then what if you were to observe the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? The Spirit is the one who gives life. The flesh doesn't help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. But there are some among you who don't believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning those who did not believe and the one who would betray him. He said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. From that moment, many of his disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him. So Jesus said to the twelve, You don't want to go away too, do you? Simon Peter answered, Lord... To whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Let's pray over the Word. Father, thank you. Thank you for your Word. Thank you for your promises. Thank you for who you are. And today I pray that you open our hearts as always and open our minds to receive from you that which you have intended for us today. God, I pray that you will move us out of a comfort zone. Move us into a place of growth individually. And Father, we will give you the praise and we will give you the glory for you alone are worthy. We just pray and believe these things in the name of your Son and our strong Savior, Jesus Christ. The church together said, Amen. Amen. There was a ship that was sinking and there were three sailors and a captain left on board and a captain looked at the three sailors and he said, uh, men, this business about a captain going down with a ship is nonsense. There's a three man life raft on board and I'm going to be on it. Three men and a captain, three man life raft. Make sure y'all keeping up with the math here. We're going to determine who's going to go with me. And what we're going to do is I'm going to ask each of you one question. And the one who can't answer will stay behind. Here's the first question. Looked at the first sailor and he said, What unsinkable ship went down when it hit an iceberg? The sailor said, The Titanic. He says, On to the next question. Looked at the second man and he said, How many people perished? This guy's a sailor. He said, 1,517, sir. He looked at the third man and said, okay, what's their names? (laughs) (laughs) 
Sometimes you can get in some situations where it's a challenge. (laughs) It's hard. It's difficult. In this passage here in John chapter 6, the disciples that are first mentioned are not the 12 disciples. It's a group that includes the 12 disciples, but there were much, a lot, much larger group of people that were following Jesus. And there were a lot of reasons why they followed Him. People had a lot of different reasons. Some of those reasons were there was a group that they hoped for military action. They had believed that the idea of the Messiah was that um, since the Roman Empire had come in and was occupying and had them under subjection that that when the Messiah came, he would come and he would raise an army, a military might that would throw off the chains of oppression from the Roman Empire and that everything would be changed. And so there would be a fight, there would be a battle, and they would recover their ability to be self-governed and throw off the chains of oppression. There were some people, they were just hoping for some more food. They had seen some miracles that he had done where he provided food. And so people were like, hey, we hang out with this guy. He can feed like, you know, 5,000 men, not including the, the children and the women. And he can do it, you know, out and, and leave 12 baskets, you know, full of fish and, and loaves and all this stuff that's left over. So we need to hang out with this guy because there's food provided. Some people were just curious. What was he going to say? What was he going to do? It, it, it kind of like some folks today that... They think that the sayings of of Jesus and the things of God, they're interesting. They sound like a way to live a generally good life. They just don't want to believe all of it, but but it sounds like some good teachings. Some people just wanted to see the miracles. They had heard that maybe he had turned water into wine. They had heard that, that he had healed the sick or raised the dead or made the lame to walk or those who couldn't hear to hear, those who were blind to see. They just wanted to go and see it. And, and be quite honest, I mean, how many people wouldn't? If all of a sudden you heard that there was somebody over in Birmingham that he's kind of traveling between Birmingham and Hoover and Sagecrest and all that stuff, and, and, and he, is, uh, he is healing people. People that are blind, they're they're starting to see. And and it's not some big-name televangelist or something like that. It's just this guy from some little old place, and he's not really doing a lot to draw attention to himself, but he's feeding people out of nothing. He's called, you know, somebody breaks open a thing of snack crackers, and he feeds 5,000 people plus. You know, you're going, that's some pretty awesome stuff right there, you know. Most people would, if that would just continued on and the, and the noise of that was spreading, they'd say, hey, all right, let's go get in the car. Let's drive over and see what's going on with this guy. Some people would just be going, somebody Facebook Live it and I'll watch it from home. Some people just some lazy, you know, well, anyway. <laughs> God could be doing, trying to do a miracle in their, their life and they're too lazy to receive it. But anyway, we just, I just move on from that because that's not subject to today's discussion. In fact, if we backed up in John chapter 6, around verse 26, we see that Jesus actually called, called out the crowd because they weren't following him for the right reasons. He calls them out because they, they weren't following because they truly desired eternal things, but very specifically, he calls them out and says, you guys are just looking for food. You're just looking for somebody to give you something. They were looking to receive They wanted to see what they could receive more than they wanted to see what they could become. They didn't want themselves to be changed. They just wanted their circumstances to be changed. Many people, you know, if we're not careful, we will get that way. 
We don't, we don't really want God to change us. We just want Him to change our boss. We don't want Him to change us. We just want Him to change somebody in our family. We don't want Him to change us. We just want Him to change the, the, the numbers and the digits in our bank account. We don't really want Him to change us. We'd like for Him just to change the church. It's all about sometimes about what can you do for me? Bird and, and some of our folks from a different church uh, some years ago when I preached at a, a church down in Goodwater, I, I made a statement then. I said, there's a lot of people got Janet Jackson religion. It's what have you done for me lately? That's where, you know, if it's not careful, that's where we end up. That's where these folks were. They were wanting to know what can you do for us. They wanted physical things, not the spiritual things of God. And following this statement in verse 26, we even see that they start pressing Jesus about, you need to perform some additional miracles so that we can believe in you. How about that? It was like a dog and pony show was what they wanted. I mean, my goodness, if, if I could look at someone and say, Jason, you've been trying to convince us that you're the Son of God. You've been healing some folks, and you've been doing all that stuff. So if you're really the Son of God... I'm going to challenge you to do like these three things. If I really thought that you could do that and you were the son of God, would I not have a little bit of fear going, I'm challenging the son of God to prove himself to me. I'm looking at somebody and saying, if you're really God, well, what if he is? And I'm sitting here looking at God himself saying, why don't you do this? I mean, it's real close to what Satan did when he said, hey, you hungry? Why don't you turn that stone into bread? Hey, do you, do you want a lot of stuff? Why don't you throw yourself off the top of this temple? You know, because I know that your angels, you know, they're not supposed to let you dash your foot against a stone. Why don't you do all of this stuff? And then here these people are. And they're turning around and they're saying, hey, why don't you do this? Prove this so that we can believe in you. But Jesus turns around, and right before we get to, actually, he kind of he does it through a series of verses all the way up to 60, then he actually challenges them with something that really comes across a little odd. He challenges them with the idea that they have to essentially take in his flesh and blood in order to have his life in them. That's a little odd to them. Now, the interesting thing, it's a little odd to a group of people who are accustomed to animal sacrifice. It's a lot more odd to us today if somebody says, you've got to drink my blood and eat my flesh in order to have part with me. And we'd be going, whoa, you better back up, Jack. <laughs> Don't be, ain't taking no bite out of your arm, not taking no bite out of your leg, nothing like that. But that wasn't what he was trying to... He was making a metaphorical statement to get them to understand that they had to take his very essence into them. He wasn't trying to promote cannibalism or you know, any of that kind of weird stuff. He was promoting a concept. It was, it was viewed that, that you know, the life is in the blood and, and if you truly absorbed the very essence of that person in and made it part of who you are, we would understand it today if we would say you would make it part of your DNA. You take who God is and you absorb that in and it becomes your DNA. Now it's who you are. It's not how you act. It's not just what you do. It's not just the places you go. All that list of stuff that people like to have. But it becomes the essence of who you are. 
It changes your very being. An underlying thought is that it is God that will sustain us. It is us absorbing Jesus into us that will keep us in spiritual health, that will allow us to endure through trials. It's Jesus Himself living inside of us. Romans chapter 8, verses 10 and 11 tell us this, Now if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then He who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through His Spirit who lives in you. Let's pick that first verse. The body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Whose righteousness? Jesus' righteousness. And so it, then if Jesus, the Scripture elsewhere tells us that it's not I that lives, but it's Christ that lives in me. So now it's His righteousness which belongs to us. He has been imputed to us. He has been transferred to us. It's been credited to our account so that it is no longer us. So our body, this mortal body, is dead because of sin. But the Spirit is life because of righteousness that comes through Christ. Why? Because if that Spirit of Him, that, that capital S, the Holy Spirit, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then He who raised Christ from the dead will at one point also bring your mortal bodies to life through His Spirit who lives in you. At one point, not only will this spirit being that we are come to life, but then our mortal bodies will be changed. The immortal will put on, or the, the mortal will put on immortality. That which is corruptible will put on incorruption. But in the here and now, the spirit is already made alive because the spirit of him who raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives inside of those of us who have surrendered to him. But these things were challenging. They were challenging for the thought process and the belief system of this broad group of disciples. And it was so much so that many of them turned from following Jesus. They didn't follow Him anymore. And you've got to understand, in, in that culture, the idea was if you became a disciple of something, we don't even really use this word well anymore. We, we, even in using it in church, we don't use it very well because we'll say, well, we're having discipleship training as if everybody who comes to that training is a disciple. Now, I'm just fixing... <laughs> sorry, I snuck this one up on you. This is going to be one of those blade-to-the-bone, lay-it-open moments. Just because you come to some kind of discipleship training doesn't make you a disciple. Just because you come to church doesn't make you a disciple. That's not the definition of discipleship. The definition of a disciple is someone who recognizes the authority of a teacher and submits themselves to that teaching. Because otherwise, you're just a casual observer of someone teaching. But a disciple says, I recognize that Jesus is the master teacher. And so what he says, I will then incorporate into my life. If he says this is the way to go, then that's the way we'll go. And so these people followed him literally. We talk about following Jesus today, and it's more so in the sense of that, that we're going to read his word, and we say we're going to try to do his word. They were literally following Jesus as disciples. They were going where he went, stopping where he stopped, moving when he moved. That idea that Scripture says in him we live and move and have our being and all that, they were doing it. 
It was there. And then they had seen the miracles. They had seen the provision. They had seen the blessings. They had seen all of those things. And then all of a sudden, he comes out with this difficult line of belief. And he tells them, look, you guys have just been following me for what you could get. And they don't catch it. And they go, well, yeah, but can you do some more just so we can believe in you? And he says, no. That's not what this is about. And he starts telling them about, I'm the bread of life. I'm trying to give you that which lasts forever. I'm trying to give you something eternal. And they start getting hung up about, well, well you know, Moses, and when we were in the, in the wilderness, and you got manna, can't you give us the manna that will just last forever? And he's going, I am that which lasts forever. And you have to take me in. And you will forever be changed. In fact, about around verse 57, he says, Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. It's not the manna your ancestors ate and they died. The one who eats this bread will live forever. The one who takes me in, who takes what I'm going to do for you in, who absorbs all that I am, you will live forever. You will totally be changed. You will be transformed. And the disciples looked and said, whoa, that's, that's some hard teaching right there. That's, that's a hard saying. Maybe some of them got hung up with the fact of, yeah, drink his blood and eat the flesh. Oh, hey. But if they'd been following him as a teacher, they should have been able to kind of understand, okay, he's not telling us, you know, we're fixing to all mass attack him and go zombie on this thing, right? Just putting it real, right? We know that's not what he's talking about. I mean, nobody looks and says, can you explain that a little more? Because we know you're not saying this. What are you really saying? No. They just start talking among themselves go, hey, Stephen, man, did you hear that? That, that's, that's, too, that's too tough right there. Why is it too tough? Because it's not about provision? Because it's not about giving you something? Wait a minute, it actually is. It's about giving you that which mattered most. He's going, man, you're actually over here asking me for more crumbs when I'm asking you to sit at the table. You're asking me to throw some scraps on the floor for you because in the grand scheme of my ability and my, my majesty and my glory, these things that I've been doing, raising the dead, making the blind to see. Now I know in our minds we look and go, that is tremendous. And he's going, but you don't understand. That is in the here and now. That's affecting your temporal body. I am wanting to do something for you that will change you for eternity. So you're wanting the scraps and I'm asking you to take the seven course meal. And you're saying, no, I don't want to sit at the table. It's too hard. Just throw it down here on the floor. So, a large group. In fact, the description that the Bible says here is, from that moment, many of his disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him. So you got this big group that's following along. By the way, there's a lesson in this. Because a lot of times, there are things that will just draw a large flock of people. 
It just draws a massive group of people. And we all have a tendency. I mean, just think about it. If we all stepped out of this building today and there was like 500 people over here surrounding Rite Aid, I can guarantee you that a bunch of you, probably me included, we start going, what's going on over at Rite Aid? Somebody needs to go over and check. I don't see any police cars. There's not like any fire trucks or anything like that. There's no ambulance. What's going on? And people over talking and you can hear there. I guarantee you, we'd go over there and check out to see what's happening, right? Doesn't mean it's anything good. Just because there's a bunch of people to show up. Doesn't mean. And even when it happens, sometimes when you get down to the nitty gritty and you move past that you're, getting, that you're doing the handout and you're giving away things and you're doing the drawing and you got all of that going on and you get down to the your life needs to change. And people go, whoa, that's a little too hard. I'm not going to follow this anymore. I was just here for the food. I mean, you know, it's that way. You ever, you ever been, you ever had a, maybe you had a party at your house. Now, some of y'all, you probably don't need to think about some of the parties that you've had at your house. Because I know some of your history, but, but, but maybe, you know, you had a party at your house or whatever. And people come over and. And people having a good time, you got especially if you got a lot of folks. And, and man, there's, 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 you know, Coke cans. Let's stick with that. There's, yeah, there's like Coke cans everywhere, you know, and all this. And all of a sudden, you know, you can tell the party's starting to wind up. And people just start disappearing, don't they? You know, and then maybe there's like two or three people that stick around and go, okay, can I help you clean up? But everybody else, they're kind of like, hey, oh, we got we to gotta go. We got to get the kids in bed. Got to, whoop, got to go. <laughs> Somebody gets a garbage bag out, so they're like, whoop, we got we to gotta cut and run. Sorry. Right? You ever had that happen? Yeah. Let's just be honest. Don't look around if it was somebody in here, you know. <laughs> but, but look, it'll happen. See, sometimes when it moves past, because people just say, hey, I was here for the snacks. I wonder sometimes, you know, if when you do Bible study or something like that and you put a bunch of stuff out, sometimes it's like, I'm just here for the snacks, you know. Man, you're asking me to pray? What? I just came for those donuts. <laughs> that's where these folks were. They, they looked and they said, wait a minute, wait a minute. If you're getting to something that's going to challenge us. And you're, and you're questioning us about why are you here? You're here just to see my hands and not to seek my face. You're here just to give what I can hand out versus what I want to give you a hand up. Then wait a minute, I, I, I can't go there. And so these people stop following. And so that's where I want us to spend just a couple of moments today. And I want to ask you this question. When was the last time that you truly felt challenged by God or His Word? This is not an answer moment. This is an inside your mind thinking moment. When was the last time that you truly felt challenged by God or by His Word? The Bible's full of challenging statements. For instance, the Bible talks about turn the other cheek. The Bible says to pray for those that despitefully use you or mistreat you. The Bible says, deny yourself and take up your cross. The Bible says, don't do things that you have spiritual freedom to do if it will destroy your weaker brother or sister in Christ. The Bible says, love your enemy. 
The Bible says, allow God to exact vengeance for it doesn't belong to you. The Bible says, wait. The Bible says, put others before yourself. The Bible says, be faithful and be committed to the point of personal sacrifice. Those are all difficult things. Can we, can we agree on that? Can we agree that when the Bible tells us that, hey, you need to submit in various things. That's difficult. We did, a, um, did it actually in a Sunday school class and then in some small group settings years ago, uh, a teaching by John Bevere called Undercover. It's a fantastic study. But one of the key statements that always stuck with me is he said, there is never submission until there is disagreement. See, submission is when I don't agree, but I submit to the authority of another. Otherwise, it's not. So if you're in agreement, you're not submitting. You're just in agreement. You agree on something. That's not submission. And see, that's where the idea of being a disciple takes on a different view and a different role than just saying, oh yeah, yeah, I'm one of these that's kind of been following. I'm kind of following along. I'm trailing along on the outside. I, I kind of, I, I, man, if this church over here has a lot of God blessing and doing all of this stuff, then I'm going to go over there because I'm really just after the blessing. Oh, I'm going I'm I'm to I'm dig a little bit right now. See, sometimes we just chase that stuff. I know there are people that they'll drive 300 miles to go hear a particular evangelist or televangelist or whatever speak. Why? Oh, because they're so anointed and God just does stuff. So God won't do something for you because you go to him and pray and ask, but he'll do it for that guy, for you. Well, But submitting is difficult. Submitting is hard. Submitting is difficult for people at work. Anybody that's ever been around kids, you know submitting's hard. Because kids can't even hide it. Kids would make terrible poker players. Let's just be honest. Number one, because they ain't got any money for you to take from them. No, I'm just <laughs> Look, they can't, most kids can't hide anything. I remember, you know, when I was a kid, you used to hear, you know, you'd hear folks talking about, don't sew up like a bullfrog. You know, you get them cheeks puffed out, kids that they'll, I mean, they'll, you need to turn that frown upside down. You can get glad in the same pants you got mad in. That's what my mom always said. Oh, mom, I got mad yesterday. I changed. <laughs> you know, got to go put them clothes back on. <laughs> I mean, but you think about it, it was, oh, it takes more muscles to frown than it does to smile, right? Kids make turn. But if you've ever been around kids, you can, you can see that submitting's hard. Because when they finally do something that you've told them to do, and the whole time, everything about their body language is saying, I am resisting. I am part of the rebellion. I may be doing it. But every iota of my being is saying, I don't agree with it. <laughs> I want everybody to know. Everybody in the house knows. The dog and the cat knows. <laughs> dog, you know, dog will be, be kind of stay away. You're going to look, mm, I know that look that mama's giving. <laughs> yeah, don't come over here by me. <laughs> she may put me out. <laughs> 
They can't hide it. But look, these kind of statements, they challenge us. Love your enemy. Pray for those that despitefully use you. Turn the other cheek. Go the extra mile. Submit to one another. All of these things, they're a challenge. And most of us resist putting ourselves into challenging situations because enough of a challenge will generate pain. And just like this picture that we showed at the very beginning, challenge and pain takes us out of our comfort zone. This pain of having to prioritize instead of simply acting out of self-indulgence. It's pain of denying self. It's pain of submission. It's pain of obedience. And quite honestly, obedience is one of the most difficult challenges that we ever face. Because mankind, we tend to want to fully understand something, logically accept it, and then agree with it, and then we'll do it. Right? How many times you have somebody, well, explain to me exactly what it is you're when you say, hey, I need, you to, I need you to go with me and I need you to do this. Well, explain to me exactly what it is you're wanting me to do. Why? Because we don't trust that person, right? Now, let's just be honest. You go, wait a minute now. I wouldn't say I don't trust them. Sure. Let's just, let's just tell the truth. I'm not saying you think they're fixing to you know, drive you off a cliff in a car or something. But, but before you start doing something with somebody, you're going, wait a minute now. You want you to explain what's going on here. What exactly is it you're wanting me to do? You know, when your kids come up and they'll start asking something, you, you, you get that sense that goes off. And you're going, what is it you want? Right? When they come up, Mom, I just want to tell you how pretty you are today. And how, what do you want? Right? Mom, when you were a kid, did you ever, what are you wanting? <laughs> I know it's a setup. Obedience is a, is a great challenge. We want to understand it. We want to logically accept it. And we want to agree to it. And then we're willing to do it. But Jesus challenges us to do something else. All throughout the Word, all throughout the New Testament, we see this constant thing of we're challenged to obey whether we can see or not. We walk by faith, not by sight. See, we, we want to be obedient if I can see what it is you're wanting me to do. Yeah, God, I'll pack up and move somewhere else and do something for you if you'll lay out all the pieces so I can understand that i got a safe landing zone. If it looks like it's all good, then yes, I agree, and it's God's will, because look at what's going to happen. But then when God does an Abraham moment and says, hey, pack up and go, it's, where am I going? I'll tell you when you get there. Well, I don't know about that now, because I didn't think that this was what it was going to look like. Right? We get along the path to what God has called us to do or the way that God is directing our life, and all of a sudden we're going, I didn't think this is what it would look like. Right? Because you had a plan. You had a vision. You had an idea of what this is supposed to look like, but yet all you can see is the here and now. We can all do the best we want to plan, but we can't see one second from now. We literally can't. Every moment, we can't see one second in front of us. Because we don't have that ability. We certainly can't see an hour ahead of us. We can't see a day ahead of us. This past Monday, I got into work and I saw an email come across and our president was coming in on, on Monday night and then Tuesday. And 47-year-old man, Chris Cook, one of our lead mechanics in Minster, Ohio, he's a, 
he was a health guy. He was all about being in shape. And so sometime on Sunday afternoon or whatever, he was out doing a bike ride. I guess mountain biking or whatever. Has a massive heart attack, dies. Got an 18-year-old daughter that's a senior in high school. 47 years old. I mean, I immediately started thinking, hey, that's like four years and a month or so older than, than me. And he's in great shape. I'm sure he didn't get up that morning, go out and, and say, oh, I see what's going to happen a couple of hours from now. It's just not there, guys. It's not there. So obedience that we're challenged to by God is to obey whether we can see or not. Obey even if we don't understand. Obey because we trust in who He is. Obey because we recognize our inability to see the span of time, but realize that He does. I read this quote a guy named Brian Tracy. He says, The potential of the average person is like a huge ocean unsailed, a new continent unexplored, a world of possibilities waiting to be released and channeled towards some great good. See, the reason, one of the reasons that God challenges us to get out of the comfort zones, to grow, is because He has some great good for us to be channeled into. Individually, God has a plan for your life of some great good that He is going to channel us into. Both individually and in, in very collective groups that we have, whether it's in a church or whether it's in a youth group or some other type of group, some friend group that you're in. But He individually has a great good that He wants to channel your life into and make you be a part of. But most of us, our potential is like a huge ocean that is unsailed and a new continent that is unexplored. Now there's two ways of looking at that. One way of looking at that looks and says, oh, what a tragedy. A huge ocean that's unsailed. A new continent that's unexplored. Because that's the person who has given up on allowing God to challenge their life. That's the person who has settled into, I'm okay with where I am spiritually, and I don't want to be challenged. I don't want God to push me to make me grow. The other way of looking at that is to say, wow, look at this. My life is a huge ocean that I can sail. It's a new continent. The potential that God has for me is like a continent that hasn't even been explored yet. And I have the guide. I have the guide because God has put in me the Holy Spirit whose role it is, he says, is to lead and guide you into all truth. So I have the guide, I have the great potential, God has the great good and the plan for my life. The question is, am I willing to allow myself to be challenged? And then in the middle of the challenge, what will I do? John O'Donohue wrote this, Once the soul awakens, the search begins and you can never go back. From then on, you are inflamed with a special longing that will never again let you linger in the lowlands of complacency and partial fulfillment. The eternal makes you urgent. You are loath to let compromise or the threat of danger hold you back from striving toward the summit of fulfillment. The eternal makes you urgent. 
I was listening to an author on a podcast this week. Um, I get a lot of podcasts listening in, driving back and forth to work now. I was listening to this guy, and he was a, a business author, and he was talking about uh, some different things. And, but one of the things that he talked about was understanding that we have this moment. We have this moment. You live in that body that you're in right now. You have that body and this moment, and every second that ticks by, in some way that you've spent it, in some way that you've used it, it's gone. How did you use it? Did you use it asking God to challenge you? And say, God, grow me. Make me increase in my knowledge. Make me increase in my ability to be used by you. Sharpen the things that you have placed inside of me that you want to channel towards some future good. Some thing that you want me to be a part of. Not just going day to day, moment to moment, going through the motions, go to work, do the things that you do all day. Turn around, go home, get something to eat, go to bed, do it all over again tomorrow. Maybe we'll do something unique on Saturday. I'll go to church on Sunday. We might get something accomplished Sunday afternoon, and then we'll get ready to do it all over again. Every second, ticking away. Or are we looking and saying, God, challenge me? Before those seconds stop ticking for us. Jesus was a constant source of challenge for the people around him. He challenged their understanding of religion. They all had this idea. They thought they understood what religion was. It was all about the law. It was all about being tied up in that stuff. Man, it, you talk about a challenge for him to come along and challenge them that, hey, it's no longer about keeping the law and these lists and all this stuff. And we talked about this maybe within the last month, month and a half, how that... For, for Jesus to come along and tell them that what's going to happen is I'm going to satisfy. I'm going to fulfill the law. You're not stuck in that. Man, that challenged them. They had been raised for generations in all of this. People struggled. It was painful. It caused separation. It created division because when they stepped out of their comfort zone in order to embrace the challenge of who he was and what he was saying to them, it was painful. He challenged their understanding of life. He challenged their understanding of eternity. He challenged their understanding of relationships. All in all, he challenged their understanding of what does it mean to really live because he said, I came that they might have life. And have it more abundantly. Totally challenged what their entire perception was of what it meant to live. And if this was constantly challenging the people around him then, shouldn't it challenge us today as well? But I have to wonder. How many of us today could honestly say, this week... I was specifically and strongly challenged by something that I read in God's Word. Now, I'm not talking about you being challenged and not lie. I'm not talking about you being challenged and not steal something. I'm not talking about you being challenged and not speak some bad words or not cheat or whatever it is. That's not what I'm talking about. 
I'm talking about that you engaged God through His Word and through prayer in such a way this week that you were challenged to make a truly difficult change in belief, in action, in thinking, or in lifestyle. Because when I look at the Jesus' time here on earth, think about it. It was constantly challenging everyone. Even before he came, it challenged his mom. It challenged what was going to be his earthly dad. Hey, are you going to put her away? Because she's having a child and you know you haven't been with her? It challenged right from the beginning. Hey, where's Jesus? We're going back from, from having worship. Where's Jesus? We've got to turn and go back. He's still there in the temple. What are you doing? I'm doing my father's work. People looked around and said, is not this the guy? Isn't, don't we know him? Isn't his dad the carpenter? It was challenging people. He's telling people, hey, lay down your nets and follow me. So abandon your job and follow me. That's a challenge. He goes and he eats with tax collectors. We talked about that here recently. That challenged people. Who is this guy that eats and hangs out with sinners? He's a friend of sinners. I challenged people. He looks at the religious folks and he says, Ah, you guys are a bunch of whitewashed tombs. On the outside you look great. On the inside you got dead men's bones. Challenged people. Oh, you brood of vipers. <laughs> you bunch of snakes. I mean, that's what he's... He was challenging me so much that they wanted, to, they wanted to throw him off the cliff at one point. He challenged some people. And he gets all the way to John 6 here, and he says, all right, so a bunch of y'all are just following me because of what I can do for you. What you really need to do is embrace who I am. And they said, this is too hard. We're not following you anymore. And so he looks at the 12, and he says, make a choice. If I had a glove right now, I kind of do like, you know, the back in the Three Musketeer days, you know. He didn't slap him in the face with it or anything, but he's like, throw down the gauntlet. I challenge you. Decide. We see an Old Testament example of that, right? We see Joshua, choose you this day whom you will serve. You're going to serve the God that brought our fathers out? What are we going to do? But I tell you what I'm going to do is for me and my family... We're going to serve God, but you choose. But we see Jesus then look at his inner, inner group, the 12, big group of disciples, people leaving. They, they just, they abandoned him. They loading up the buses and going home. He looks at the 12 and he says, you want to leave too? You going to leave? And dear God, I pray that we would understand what they did. But I, I do want to throw this out there. I can tell, I, I, I would guess, I should not say with full assurity, but I would guess from their response they'd thought about it. Because they didn't stop and go, well, I don't know, give us five minutes. <laughs> Let us go talk about this. The response was, in my mind when I read it, we've thought about where else we would go. But there's nobody else to go to. Because who else has the words that bring life? You're it. We thought about it. We contemplated it. But there's nobody else to go to. It's just you. So we can't go anywhere else. 
Because what we've determined when we evaluated this is you are the Holy One. You're it. So when was the last time that you were truly challenged by God? 